This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Galarcep, and we are now just hours away from the start of the MLS season. And in case you missed it, we previewed the Eastern Conference in the previous episode, looking at all 13 teams in the East. And now this episode, we'll be looking at the 13 teams in the Western Conference, including the reigning MLS Cup champions, Seattle Sounders, and the reigning MLS Supporters Shield winners, LAFC, who are basically the top two teams heading into the new season. Uh, they, you have to say, they're the favorites uh, for the title in 2020, along with Atlanta United. Uh, we'll start with the bottom team in our overall rankings, in my overall rankings, the bottom team, number 13 overall, is the Vancouver Whitecaps. And it might be a little bit of a surprise that Nashville SC would not be the team at the bottom considering they're an expansion team. But for right now, I'm going to go with the Whitecaps. And I know the Whitecaps definitely made some additions in the offseason to strengthen their squad, including Canadian striker Lucas Cavallini. But there are a lot of questions about that team. And, you know, I believe Mark DeSantos is a good coach. And this will be an opportunity for him to really put together a squad uh, and organize a squad that he has helped build. And we can't lose sight of the fact that the Whitecaps finished in last place in the Western Conference last year. Uh, and while they have added some improvements, they, they've definitely added some, some, some improvements to the roster. You wonder, is it enough? Is it enough to really climb up into the elite, uh, the elite status of the West? We're talking about as uh, reaching the playoffs. Now, the Whitecaps could, could certainly put it together and, and make a, an improvement to break into the top 10 in the West, right? You're talking about 13 teams in the West. Could they break into the top 10? I could definitely see that. But beyond that, I don't I don't really see them challenging for a top seven spot as much as Mark DeSantos is a good coach. And, and I think with the right personnel, he could he could definitely uh, do something. He definitely get some results. But I'm, I'm looking at this roster and I just don't know if it's enough to really climb out of that basement in the West. And, uh, you know, I, I, the reason I give that, I'll, I'll talk about the Na- Nashville SC's chance is uh, up next, but for now, I just don't know if Vancouver has enough to climb out of that basement. Up next at number 12 in the Western Conference is Nashville SC, and yes, I think you could argue that this is a bit of a generous ranking that we should probably have Nashville in the last place in the West, but you have to say something about a team that puts together as strong a defensive group as this Nashville team is put together as an expansion team. I'm trying to think back to, to expansion defenses. And when you think about the teams that have been good expansion teams in recent years, uh, they've usually been known more for their attack, whether it's been the Se- uh, Seattle Sounders, you go further back, or more recently Atlanta and uh, LAFC, they were known more for putting together very good attacks, very dangerous attacks. Nashville went a little bit of a different way. They, they went with a really strong uh, MLS experienced back six. And really, I mean, they have quality at every position, I would say. And, and the addition of Walker Zimmerman was kind of the cherry on top and really the, the centerpiece to, to the whole thing. Now you have you have Walker Zimmerman at center back, you have Dax McCarty as, and Anna Bogadoy as your defensive midfielders. And right there, that's such a strong spine to start with. And David Romney, you have to give uh, you have to consider him as well. Uh, the versatile former LA Galaxy defender, he's in the mix as well. And then of course you have Daniel Lovitz at left back, who, while I may not think he's a national team left back, I do think he's an above average MLS left back. So right there, Nashville, you have to feel pretty good about being able to be competitive because of your defense. Now the big question obviously is about the attack and do they have enough of an attack to really be a threat? And and that's the question. And right now when you look at their team 
I don't know if they have it. I don't know if they have the the the, the punch in attack to really put up consistent goals and, and, and consistent scoring to really be competitive, especially with the Western Conference as tough as it is. So having said that, I think their defense is good enough that they, they won't be the worst team in the West. I think Vancouver, as much as Vancouver could absolutely leapfrog them and move up higher, and, and I could absolutely see Nashville in last place, I'll give Nashville uh, the, the credit for the defense that it has. And... If they go and add an attacking piece or two in the summer, then you're talking about something completely different as an expansion team. Uh, I, just, I don't know how much money they have left to go around to go add some attacking pieces, but for right now, their defense should keep them in matches and keep them from having an ugly first season. We've seen that as well in the past, whether it's Cincinnati or Minnesota before that. We've seen teams that can have come in with shaky defenses get obliterated, and I don't think Nashville's going to have to worry about that. I think they're going to be competitive, but I just don't think they're going to have the goals to really have have anything anything as far as a special season and checking in at number 11 we have the Colorado Rapids and uh, they're an interesting squad when it, when you look at the team that that they put together that Robin Frazier will be in charge of it's it's actually a very young team uh, with some really interesting prospects uh, who, who should play key roles. When you look at Sam Vines at left back, uh, who is coming off of uh, a pretty impressive showing with the U.S. men's national team and who's probably going to have a starting role in Olympic qualifying. Uh, and then you have the acquisition of Austin Trusty, uh, another talented young defender, um, which I have to say, I was a little surprised that Philadelphia traded away, although they did have a surplus uh, at center back with Mark McKenzie and Jack Elliott. So they had a third and they, they were able to trade them. Um, I think Frazier has some young players here who, if they all come together, if they all can mature and grow as a group, then they can work their way up the, the, the Western Conference. But I don't know if they have enough firepower on the higher end in terms of they don't have that those those kind of difference making attacking players look Kai Kamara he's a go- he's a goal machine he will get you your 10 to 15 goals a year uh, like clockwork um, but I don't know if they have enough in the rest of their attack I know they they added uh, Eunice Namley uh, as a as a attacking midfielder but I don't know if that's going to be enough I know they added Nicholas Benize uh, and you have Jonathan Lewis obviously the young winger who's been a part of the U.S. national team setup Um, they have some interesting pieces Andre Shinashiki who's there as well I mean they have some pieces right they have some they have some talent and it's really going to be up to Frazier to to turn that young talent into uh, higher level young talent and di- and and impactful difference making young talent because it doesn't matter how old you are I mean you can still dominate I mean look at Tyler Adams when he was coming up as young as he was he was a dominant player and right now Colorado has some really talented young players I mean look at Cole Bassett the U.S. under 20 midfielder who right now doesn't even project as a starter for the Rapids but with his talent he should get playing time they should find a way to get him some minutes so. Uh, I wonder if this is in a year where you're going to see the Rapids focus on getting experience for some of these really higher level, younger prospects. Um, can they make the playoffs? That That's a little bit of a tricky one, I think, because I think without... Without the benefit of of that, those kind of kind of high end designated player type uh, signings, it's tough in the Western Conference because when I look at the top teams in the West, uh, most of them are are featuring some high high 
high octane players, some some big price tag players. And right now the Rapids don't have that. But I do think Robin Frazier is a good coach, and I think this is a good opportunity for him to show if he can kind of do if he can do kind of what Luchi Gonzalez did with FC Dallas in 2019 in terms of t- taking a young team, really molding it, and getting them to exceed expectations and play, uh, have it be where kind of the, the being greater than the sum of the parts type situation and. The Rapids have that. They have that. They have enough young talent all over the field where they they could put it together. But for right now, I'm going to project them at number 11. I don't see them making the playoffs in 2020. Now, could they go in 2021 and be a factor? Absolutely. Checking in at number 10 in our Western Conference rankings and predictions, we have Real Salt Lake. And I know that uh, some RSL fans might be a little upset to see them drop so far in our projection, but I don't know how you can't drop them uh, considering what they've lost in the offseason. Now, we know RSL was one of the big surprises of, of 2019, finishing in third place in the Western Conference and really exceeding expectations and overcoming the shakeup of Mike Petke's firing. Uh, you wondered what would happen there and if things would fall apart, but credit to Freddy Juarez, who went in there as, as an interim coach and really uh, helped keep them on a good path and got them to the playoffs and with a with a high seed the number three overall seed uh but of course this offseason has been a rough one uh when you look at what they've lost uh, between jefferson Severino, sebastian salcedo they traded away brooks lennon nick Raimondo retired uh jao plata's gone kellen rose gone uh so that's a lot to lose and you know you wonder how they're going to replace that and now they did go and get a veteran in justin merrim and as and and Reported today, announced today as the, the same day as this recording, Giuseppe Rossi has signed with Real Salt Lake. Now, we know he had been in preseason with RSL, but now he has signed. And you wonder what the former Italian national team striker has left at this point. Now, he obviously, he's been out of action for some time now. And he's a player who, uh, he's a New Jersey native, and and I talked about him a little bit in the Eastern Conference preview, but uh, from my understanding, the team, uh, the teams in the New York area had an opportunity to sign him, and they passed on him, both NYCFC and the Red Bulls. And for me, I, w- I think it was a little disappointing that the Red Bulls didn't take an opportunity to bring him in. I don't know the particulars as far as the, you know what was he looking for in terms of salary. Obviously, the Red Bulls are a team that's going to be lo- looking to get younger. Um, they're going to, they're, they're looking to add younger prospects that that they can develop and move on and sell and and obviously Rossi being an older player toward the tail end of his career I could see how maybe he didn't fit into their plans but I tell you what Rossi is a a great pickup for RSL a team that definitely needs uh, more attacking weapons especially after the the player after this offseason and the players that they lost so you wonder how what Rossi has it's been a while you wonder where he is, how long it's going to take him to get sharp. But I tell you what, if he can get back to being anywhere close to that player who did so well in Europe as recently as two to three years ago, uh, RSL could have themselves quite a steal. Uh, will that be enough to help them climb back into the playoff picture? That's where I'm a little, I, I'm not so so sure about it. Uh, there's a lot of question marks there uh, in this team uh, in everything from the attack to, to who's going to start in goal. Uh, is it going to be Zach McMath? Is it going to be David Ochoa, a player who I tell you what, I, I, I hope to see kind of break through. He is a very, very uh, promising prospect, goalkeeper prospect. He really, you can argue, is the future of the goalkeeping position for the U.S. national team in terms of 10 years down the road. And he, you know, he should be a starter with the U-20s. Uh, he could potentially push his way onto that Olympic qualifying team as well. But 
for right now, you don't know what Freddy Juarez has planned in terms of uh, who's he going to start in goal. I haven't seen an announcement yet, but hopefully it's a show just for the you know opportunity to for him to develop. Now, obviously, Zach McMath is a player who's who's put his time in uh, waiting for his opportunities, and it always seems like something happens and someone else jumps in. But if he gets that opportunity, I think McMath McMath could also do well. Uh, defensively, they have a pretty solid defense uh, when you look at the pieces that they have between Aaron Herrera and Donny Toy at fullback. In the, in the center back options that they have, uh, Netam Onuoha, Marcelo Silva, and Justin Glad. So they have some good pieces there. They have the structure in place. They still have Kyle Beckerman, who, who hasn't retired. He, he's, he's playing another year. He still has something in the tank. Um, but I just don't know. I just don't know if they have enough. And losing Severino, that's huge. And you, you're going to have to see other players step up. Demir Krylach is going to have to step up. Um, Albert Rusnak is going to have to step up. I mean, these guys have, uh, I mean, they've already been so, so, so important to, to the RSL attack in recent years, but now they have to do that much more because Savarino, with his creativity, his quickness, his ability to stretch defenses, like he, without him, uh, I, I think RSL is going to find things much tougher in the attack. Although, if Rossi can find some old form, then you never know. Then RSL could absolutely become a contender for a playoff spot. Um, what's their What's their ceiling? I'd say their ceiling for me is probably in the six to seven range in the West. I don't see it much higher than that. But as of right now, I'm going to project them as number ten overall in the West. Coming in at number nine in the Western Conference is the Houston Dynamo, and it's Tab Ramos with his first professional head coaching job. And the former U.S. Under-20 national team coach has some some lofty uh, lofty expectations because obviously there, there are a lot of people who feel like he should have had an opportunity to be the, the full senior men's national team coach, even though he hasn't uh, yet had a job uh, as, a, as a men's coach coaching up adult men. I mean, he's coached the under-20s, obviously. Uh, we know about his storied playing career, but this is going to be his first opportunity to coach a men's team. And the, he, he takes over a Houston Dynamo team that I feel like has over has underachieved over the years. And uh, as much as, you know, I definitely rate Tab Ramos as a coach, uh, it's not going to be an easy job for him to turn this team around. And I would say just when you look at some of the pieces that they've already added, I think you're going to see a more exciting Dynamo team in 2020. Obviously, with the addition of Darwin Quintero and the fact that they were able to keep Mauro Manotas, uh, who along with Christian Ramirez, gives them one of the better strike tandems in the league. Uh, I like the pieces that they have there in their midfield with the likes of uh, with obviously Albert Elise, who's one of the most dangerous players in the league. You have Thomas Martinez, you have Matias Vera. Um, they, they have a lot of good pieces to put a good midfield together. You have the youngster, Marcelo Palomino. You wonder how he's going to come along under Ty Ramos. Their attack, I think, is going to be fun to watch under Ramos. I think the way he wants to play, you're going to see a team that wants to attack that's going to put up goals. Now, the question and the issue for me is, is this defense good enough? And I don't know that it is. I don't think it is. Uh, I don't think they did enough to improve that defense. Uh, I don't. I, I just don't see enough of enough quality in that in that back line for them to really be competitive. If you're talking about Minor, Minor Figueroa and and Kiki Struna, uh, Struna Struna as your center backs, I just don't know if they're going to get the job done. Uh, so I think this rebuilding job of the Dynamo is going to be a 
two-year project at least. Um, so anyone expecting Tad Ramos to turn them into a playoff team right away in year one, I don't think that's realistic with this particular group. Now, if they go and get some big pieces in the summer or even before this window, the transfer window closes now, I believe it closes in, in May, so you still have some time between then, between now and then to add some pieces, then then we could be talking about the Dynamo pushing into that conversation for a playoff swap because right now I have them ninth. So they're not that far away, but I think with the roster that they have right now, I think they're going to fall short, particularly because I don't think their defense is good enough. And, you know, we're going to see how their 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 new goalkeeper, how he fares, Marco Marek, uh, see if he's up to the task. But for me, defensively, I think that's their shortcoming, and that's what Ramos is going to have to work on this season and heading into 2021. Checking in at number eight in the Western Conference is the San Jose Earthquakes. And the earthquakes are an interesting one, right? This is year two of the Matias Almeida project, and there's been a lot of talk about this kind of being a year where we see Almeida's imprint on the squad translating into a major step forward. And obviously with the system that he plays, uh, the it's a very intensive system that takes time for players to un- to, to understand and to, and to really uh, be integrated into. And now we know last year they didn't they didn't make the playoffs, but the, the belief has always been that in year two you would see the real progress. And the thing is, they didn't really add much in the way of new personnel. Uh, they did add a center back in Oswaldo Alanis, uh, who is obviously a, a high level defender. Uh, if he can stay healthy, he can definitely make a big difference. But is that enough? Do they have enough? all over the field to really compete in the Western Conference. Now, they'll be competitive, and they could absolutely become a playoff team, but what is their ceiling? And for me, I, you know, I, I never want to um, underestimate Almeida because I think he's a great coach. He's absolutely one of the best coaches in MLS, um, but does he have the, the pieces? And, of course, with the way he the way he coaches and the system that he employs, it's not always necessarily about the pure talent, but it's about him being able to get the players that he has to buy in. And that's what we're going to find out. If this group really has bought in and is ready to to improve on last year. And there's talent here, no question. I mean, up top, you have Danny Hosen, uh, you have Vaco, you have, and then obviously you have Christian Espinosa on the right wing, who's, you know, one of the best wingers in the league. Um, and then in the midfield, Jackson Ewell has really flourished under Almeida. And, and obviously he's now in the U.S. national team picture and he's really grown. And I don't think many people could have envisioned where he is now at, uh, as a player compared to two years ago. Um, he's just, I mean, he's just jumped leaps and bounds in his progression as a player. Uh, defensively, that's really a question mark. You have you have Alanis and you have Florian Youngworth in your as your center back tandem. Then you have Nick Lima at left back, who unfortunately for him he's a natural right back, but Almeida has has kind of insisted on him play, playing him at left back and playing Tommy Thompson at right back, in uh, really hoping that those two can 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 play in his style, uh, and and they can do it. They they've shown that they can do it. Uh, although for me, I personally think it's holding back uh, Lima's progression as a player because I think he is absolutely a natural right back, and I think he's better suited for other styles of play. I don't I don't think this style of play brings the best out of him. And I mean, if I were Nick Lima, I'd be trying to find another place to play. But of course, he's a homegrown player. He's from the area. Maybe he doesn't want to leave. Uh, Maybe he's ready to buy in fully into Almeida system in 2020. We'll we'll see what happens there. But for me, I just don't know if they have enough to go beyond 
a t- being a top five team in the West. I think I think we could see them climb as high as fifth. But for right now, I'm, I'm going to keep them at eighth. I'm going to keep them missing just outside of the playoffs. Now, could I see them taking that next step where they, they, they really, really take to his system, to Almeida's system, and show the improvement that they need to get into the playoffs? Absolutely. It wouldn't shock me in the least. We're talking about Almeida now, one of the best coaches in MLS, uh, one of the best coaches in the region. Um, but I just don't know if he has the weapons. And in a league where you're seeing just considerable improvement in overall talent level, it's going to be tougher and tougher to win with systems and without the talent. And I think I think you're seeing that. You'll see that with the Red Bulls this year because obviously they're 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 really. It's it's great to have a system. It's great to have a, a a philosophy and a style of play. But at the end of the day, you still need the horses. You still need the weapons, the players. Um, but we'll see if anyone can do it. If anyone can do it with a, a, a roster that that you would call a weaker one. You'd like to think Almeida could be that guy, but for right now, I'm going to put them in at number eighth. If they make the playoffs, it wouldn't shock me in the least, but I think their ceiling is probably fifth, fifth and sixth. I don't see them cracking the top four, not with the squad that they have. Now, if they go sign some players in the summer, that's a different story. Then you're talking about, okay, if they can add the one or two pieces that they need, absolutely, they could take the jump. But for right now, with the team that they have, I think they're going to just miss out on the playoffs. And now we've reached the playoff teams, the projected playoff teams in the Western Conference. These are the seven teams that I see making the postseason. And we start with number seven, and I'm going to go with Minnesota United. And this is clearly a step down for Minnesota United from the fourth place finish in the Western Conference. And uh, as much as it's it's not so much a knock on on them as, as seeing other teams show, for me, more improvement or show the opportunity for more improvement with the signings that they've made. And I think for that reason, a few teams have jumped ahead of them. And I think you're going to see Minnesota maybe take a bit of a step back. Obviously, you see Darwin Quintero uh, has moved on. You, they, they got rid of Angelo Rodriguez. They brought in a new striker in Luis Amaria. And you wonder, can he be a 15 to 20 goal scorer for them? And he obviously has a good track record as a scorer. And we all know about Adrian Heath's love for strikers and, and his and his ability to get the most out of strikers. And if Amaria can be that elite level striker, that 15 to 20 goal uh, scorer, then Minnesota is right there in the conversation. They can be a top four team. I think that's their 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 ceiling. I mean, I think could they be as high as third? I think that's pushing a little bit. I think fourth place is their ceiling in the West, um, but I think they should make the playoffs. I think they, they're too good in terms of, of the, the better players that they have. When you have Ico Parra, Roman, Romain Metaniere at right back, and then you have Ozzy Alonso and, and uh, John Gregus in the middle and central midfield. So they still have that great nucleus. And, and obviously, uh, you lose v, uh, Vito Menone, you bring in a Tyler Miller. That That's a nice consolation prize for you because Tyler Miller is a pretty solid goalkeeper. So from that standpoint, I think that I just think they're going to take a bit of a step back. Now, could they could they hold firm at fourth? Could they be still be around that fourth place range, maybe even third? I think it's going to take some special contributions from from several players. I think you're going to need Amaria to be to be everything that they're hoping he is. And you're going to need Robin Lodd to step up 
to carry the load, so to speak. So we'll see. We'll see if they can do it. Adrian Heath, this is a big year for him because he, you know, he, I don't think he can afford to stamp pat. I think he needs to to take the, it up that one more notch. Now, obviously, they still are in the market for talent, and they've been heavily linked with Emmanuel Reynoso from Boca Juniors. They, they see him being that attacking midfielder that they want and need. Uh, they have yet to sign him, although obviously they've been linked and they've been very close to signing him by all accounts, by all the reports that you've seen surrounding this, this transfer bid. If they can successfully complete that transfer and if they add Reynoso to their attack, then you're talking about a Minnesota team that can push into uh, the three range, the third place in the West. I don't see them cracking the top two. I, I probably, I, honestly, I think fourth place is, is probably the ceiling for them and although Reynoso obviously when you have when you add him to the equation then you then you could potentially see them surprise and break into that top three but without Reynoso I think they're going to be happy they'll be lucky to be a playoff team not lucky but I think there that will be where they fall into that five six seven range with Reynoso you're talking three four five range Uh, I think they'll be a fun team to watch obviously Amaria could be one of those one of those big kind of newcomer surprises Uh, you're just what we're seeing already from him in preseason and then obviously you have some younger players like Mason Toy, Hassani Dotson, Chase Gasper. You want to see how they build on what we saw in 2019. If those younger players can continue to improve and, and mature as players, we could see the Loons take that step forward. Uh, but for me, I think if they can hold firm at fourth, I think that'd be a good year for them. Um, but they're going to need to sign Reynoso or someone like Reynoso if they're going to want to challenge the elite in the Western Conference. And at number six in the Western Conference, we have FC Dallas. And I tell you what, they're a team that's an interesting one because obviously they they exceeded expectations in 2019, playing a very young team, Luchi Gonzalez, uh, with an impressive year in charge. And he, you know, he he had his faith in younger players, and they and they rewarded him. Whether you talk about Paxton Pomacal, Jesus Ferreira, obviously uh, Brendan Sir, Brendan Brandon Cervania with with the way he turned it on in the second half, um, and you when you look at that nucleus and how it matured and how, and, and with the, I tell you what the fight that that team showed in the playoffs uh, against the Seattle Sounders, the eventual champions. There's there's some fight there, and obviously there's quality there, and you want to see how that young group takes that step in maturity that 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 overall maturation and obviously the big news for FC Dallas is the news that that they've signed a, a, a forward a striker an elite striker in Franco Hara for uh, who will be arriving in the summer and that's a huge pickup for them because we know in the past Dallas has tried to sign uh, they've been looking for that elite level striker and that's kind of eluded them and obviously we remember when they signed Christian Coman and he was kind of the big transfer striker acquisition for them he didn't pan out really but now a player like Hara arriving in the middle of the season uh, he could be the piece that pushes them into the elite of the Western Conference. Um, I, I think when you look at what they have defensively with Matt Hedges at center back uh, and and Jesse Gonzalez continuing to mature in goal, uh, Reto Ziegler, who gives you that experience, they have the pieces of a very solid starting lineup. And I think they were the piece that they were really missing was that go-to striker. Now, we saw Jesus Ferreira uh, really kind of step in and fill a void there. And you also have Cobra, another striker for them. But they, they didn't have that kind of elite number nine. And Hara should be that player when he arrives in the summer. Then you're talking about a Dallas team that is going to be a handful if, if, if Hara can live up to the expectations. Uh, you want to see what 
players like Ferreira, Pomical, Cannon, uh, all these young players, if they take that next step so they can challenge the the upper echelon, the Seattles, the LAFCs, the LA Galaxies, that's going to be the question. Can Luchi Gonzalez get that group to take that next step? For me, I think they're a playoff team. Without a doubt, I think if you're looking at it, I'd say probably the fourth, fifth range is their ceiling. Top three, I think it's still tough for them to break through uh, just because of the, the top three teams that are that I see finishing in the West are just at, they're just that couple of notches higher in terms of the talent that they have. But if Dallas can finish fourth or fifth in the West, I think that's a pretty good accomplishment. And then when they get into the playoffs... Uh, you know, they, they're obviously going to be fearless. They were pretty fearless last year when they faced the Sounders. They almost knocked the Sounders off in the in the playoffs in the first round, and that would have been a huge upset, but they almost did it. So I think that experience is going to help them once they get to the playoffs the next time around. So I think they're a playoff team. I think they could finish as high as fourth, maybe third, but I think fourth is more realistic. But I definitely see them being in the playoffs. And the number five team in the Western Conference heading into the season, we have Sporting Kansas City. Now, of course, they're a team that had a really disastrous 2019, which is kind of crazy when you think about how it began for them with an impressive showing early on in the CONCACAF Champions League. I mean, when you think back to then, when they destroyed, I believe it was Toluca in the Champions League, there was talk about KC being an MLS Cup contender. Uh, just the way they looked early on and the wheels just really fell off. And obviously they had some injuries and they just really, it just it almost felt like they just really got old really quickly and um, just, just didn't look anything like the team that we saw in the beginning of the year. Uh, now, obviously, we know Peter Vermees. He's been around a while. He knows he knows what he had to do. He, knew, he knows he had to make some upgrades and make some changes and really bolster that team. And obviously, the acquisition of Alan Polito is huge because he's, he's the striker that they've been needing and wanting and lacking for years now. Uh, they finally ha- were able to get their kind of elite blue chip striker and obviously they need that that's not the only thing they need but that that's kind of number one on the list so to add a player like Polito is huge it's huge for their attack I mean they have weapons in their attack when you think about Johnny Russell and Jerso Fernandez uh Daniel Saloy I think can benefit from the 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 presence of a Polito uh, and then also the addition, the return of Kyrie Shelton, there's some depth there now. There's some depth in the attack. I think they'll be able to score goals. The real question, two big questions, their defense. What's going to happen with the defense? Uh, clearly, Vermees is going to have to consider making some changes there. Uh, they're, they're a group that, that was together a long time. And when you think about Matt Beasler and Graham Zussi and how long they have been part key pieces of that of that defense. And you wonder, is it now time to move on from one or both of them? And when it comes to Zussi at right back, you have someone, a young player like Jalen Lindsay, who could be ready to step in and be your starter at right back. Uh, in terms of Beesler, Beesler is still, I think, a, a, a higher end central defender. And, and as much as there is competition there now, among the center backs, I, I feel like they have a dozen center backs on the roster. I still think Beasler, there's a place for Beasler. Uh, and, you know, they, the Casey did go out and, and get a, a few center backs. Winston Reed, Roberto Punsech, I want to pronounce it. I probably pronounced it wrong. But they have some, they have some defensive options there, which is good for them. And uh, you'd like to think that, if anything, when you talk about an older team, you want to be able to rotate your squad a bit. And now they can do that. They have options. Uh, at left back, there's some questions there. You have They, they brought back Amadou Dia, the former draft pick. Uh, and then they have Lewis Martins, who was there uh, in the second half of last year, who is looking like the projected starter at left back. So... 
the question, there's some questions there. And then, of course, in the midfield, you, you have quite a few options there. Uh, you know, Ilya Sanchez, what's his part to play? You obviously have Felipe Gutierrez, who's going to be a big part of whatever they do. Uh, the addition of Gadi Kinda, uh, who I think he's, uh, by all accounts, and in, 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 from what you hear out of preseason, he can definitely be a difference maker for them. So you like the pickups that they've made. You like the additions, the depth that they've added. Uh, it's definitely time to freshen up that squad. Um, it's, it really felt in 2019 like it was a case of a team that held on to a nucleus, potentially a step too long. Uh, and now I, I'm sure Vermees, Vermees is not, I don't, I don't see Vermees being the sentimental type who's not going to be able to make the changes he has to make. He will absolutely make the changes that he needs to make. And if that means benching some veterans, benching some established faces of the club, I think he'll do that. And now he has options to turn to. Now he he can turn to players who could give you an upgrade. And with Polito at striker and with the pieces that they have, particularly in midfield, I think I see them making that that return, that turnaround. I think they if you're look if you're making a list of teams who could be the biggest candidates for a, a, a bounce back, a, a turnaround from from the disappointing 2019. I think the Columbus Crew in the East, and I think Sporting Kansas City, without question, is a team that is ready to turn things around in 2020. And now we get to number four in the Western Conference, and that will be the Portland Timbers, a team that I tell you what, a couple of years ago, they got to the MLS Cup final last year. It felt like a bit of a step back for them. But I think this is this is a team that that made some really good additions in the winter. And now they have some depth and, and some pieces that can help their attack. Um, I think an attack that, that at times stagnated a bit, obviously, the, 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 the whole uh, Brian Fernandez situation kind of devolved for them. I mean, he, he was supposed to be such a key figure for them, and, and things just went south with him, and he's moved on, and he's having his own issues now in Argentina, and, and, and you, you pray for him and, and hope, hope things work out for him. But it really left the Timbers with a big void there. Now, they went into this offseason, and clearly the striker position was one that they was one that they planned on on bolstering and they did that and then some they added not one but two strikers Jaroslav Niesgoda and Felipe Mora gives them gives the Timbers a pair of strikers that could be a very formidable tandem and could just give them options and and obviously Jeremy Ibobisi was still someone who could play striker. Obviously, with the arrival of the two, the two new strikers, you could see a lot of Ibobisi on the wing as well. Uh, but now Severisi has more options in his attack. And not only did they add the two strikers, but of course they added Yimi Chara, Diego Chara's brother, who can give you some real dynamic, op- another dynamic option on the wing. He's looking to project as a starting right winger for them. And now with new strikers, with a new winger in Chara, you obviously have Valeri, uh, who they were able to re-sign, sign to a new deal to go along with Blanco. And now you're talking about an attack that can be right there as good as any in the in the league. Uh, definitely in the higher end of the Western Conference teams in terms of the attack. Now, how will their defense hold up? And that's the big question for me, is this Portland defense? Because I, I just think that there were times last year that they just weren't good enough. And Steve Clark, you got to give a lot of credit because he was, he played out of his mind last year. And I don't think that's talked about enough. What he was able to do helping cover for the frailties of that Timbers defense last year. Now, obviously, the, the, the Timbers went and added some pieces there. 
Dario Zuparic, the center back, who they they project to be a starter for them and to be kind of that leader of the defense that they're hoping to have. Now they they did bring back Larry's Mabiala and Bill Tuiloma, and you wonder which of the two is going to ultimately win out. Mabiala is the favorite of the two. You figure you'll see the Mabiala uh, Zuparic center back tandem, but they still have uh, Tuiloma. You still have Cascante, so they have some depth at center back. But you, you just wonder. Is their starting back line strong enough to push them into the top of the Western Conference? We're talking about the top two, three teams, LAFC, Seattle, LA Galaxy. Can that defense be good enough? And that's that's what, for me, what kind of keeps them in the second tier of the Western Conference because as much as they, they bolstered their attack and as much as Zuparic should be an upgrade at center back, we have to see how much of an upgrade. Because if Zuparic ends up being kind of an all-star caliber center back, which you know I'm sure the Timbers believe that he, he is and can be, then, then we're talking. Then we're talking about a defense that's formidable enough to potentially push into the top three. But for right now, I'm going to put the Timbers at number four, and I think they're going to be a handful with the, with the attack that they have and with the veterans. When you talk about players like Valerian Blanco, who, who know what it's about when you get into the playoffs and who've been through the wars in the postseason, they're not a team you're going to want to see in the playoffs, especially in the knockout round format. Um because they, they've been there, they've done it, they've won an MLS Cup before. Uh, at least some of them have. Obviously, Valeri was a part of that. But they're going to be a handful, no question about it. I think they still. I think their defense, though, is what keeps them from being at the very top of the Western Conference. And now we get to the top three in the Western Conference, as I said, with the East. This is the VIP section of the predictions and of the projected standings. And these are the teams that you could absolutely see uh, being, the, being the champions at the end of the year. And as much as I don't feel like enough people are talking about them as a, as a, as a potential title contender, I think you have to absolutely consider the LA Galaxy a legitimate MLS Cup contender. And I know Zlatan Ibrahimovic is gone. He's moved on. And that's a huge loss in terms of the goal production, in terms of the ability to make special plays. But I just my my read on things from talking to players from the galaxy and, and, and getting a sense for for how things are going with them and and the changes that they've made. I I feel you, you kind of get the sense that that there's been an addition by subtraction. And as much as Zlatan was a was a force, as much as his goals were were impressive. And, and incredible. Uh, he was also a liability. He was a liability defensively, and he was a, the type of player that really kind of sucked the air out of the room with the Galaxy, and everyone kind of deferred to him on the Galaxy. So it wasn't really a team. It was really Zlatan and the Zlataners, and 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 at a certain point, that kind of leaves you a little vulnerable. And and now he's been replaced by a player in Chicharito Hernandez. Who look, Chicharito is not the player that Zlatan is. He's not the finisher that Zlatan is. But in terms of his overall contribution as a player, you could definitely argue that he is better for the overall team makeup uh, than Zlatan because he's a two-way player. He, he, he presses from the front. He never stops running. He never stops moving. He never stops communicating. And you're already getting a sense that it's be, been a breath, breath of fresh air for the Galaxy um, since he's arrived and replaced Zlatan Ibrahimovic. So right now, the sense that you get 
um, just talking to the players and, and just looking at the way things are going is that you are going to see several Galaxy players really take their games up a notch because they don't have that that just kind of black hole in the attack that Zlatan Ibrahimovic was. And now that because of that, I think you're going to see uh, Christian Pavone really potentially push his way into an MVP type conversation. You're going to see Alexander Kataya, who while he's a new arrival, he's someone who I think can can take advantage of the fact that you're going to see a more a more balanced approach, a more balanced attack. Uh, and obviously Chicharito is going to have to do his part as well. And we know he's going to sell tickets. We know he's going to sell jerseys, but is he going to score the goals? Is he going to give you the 15 to 20 goals that you need from your star striker? And, and I think he, I think he will give you that. Uh, because he does put himself in position to finish chances. He's going to be part of a very dangerous attack, a very good midfield behind him. Uh, And as I've said before, the track record for elite strikers is a very good one in MLS. So if you're a very, very good striker and you come to MLS, chances are you're going to keep finding goals. You're going to keep scoring goals. So I think for me, I think Chicharito is going to be an absolute 15 to 20 goal guy. But I think just everything else that he brings to the table is going to help this Galaxy team be that much better. So from that standpoint, I think that's huge. Now, the big question mark we know about the Galaxy is their defense. How how will they improve their defense? And in talking to the Sebastian Jet and talking to David Bingham, uh, the, the sense you get is that the fact that you have a player like Chicharito who presses from the front, who communicates, who covers ground, it's now 11 against 11, as opposed to it being 10 against 11, which is what it was last year when Zlatan was at striker, um, because he just wasn't a player who's going to be able to give you much in, in terms of defensive work rate. So um, if, if, in fact, that you have that difference and if that kind of trickles down throughout into the midfield and the back line and you have the team that defends more as a team you're going to see an upgrade you're going to see an improvement because um from a personnel standpoint there haven't been many huge changes uh from from the in terms of the galaxy i mean i think you're going to see some of the same players that you saw last year daniel stairs uh giancarlo gonzalez rolf felcher you could see rolf felcher at right back although julian araujo uh the youngster you like to think maybe he can push his way into that starting lineup uh so from that standpoint you have you have those same players although emiliano and sua is an upgrade at left back and that's a big upgrade great for them because he is a quality player at left back and left back was absolutely a trouble position for the galaxy so from that standpoint i I think the galaxy defense is going to be better uh and i think their attack although they won't have zlatan to lean on to deliver the magic to deliver those special moments i think they're going to have a more balanced attack they're going to have a tougher team to play against because you can't just focus on stopping zlatan you have to focus on stopping everybody Pavone, Katai, Leggett, Chicharito, uh, Dosanto, Jonah Dosantos coming from deeper in midfield, Sasha Kleston off the bench, Joe Corona. They have a lot of weapons. And from that standpoint, I think that's why I see them having a much better chance this year, even though they don't have Zlatan. I think they have a much better chance this year to really be a serious MLS Cup contender. And in at number two in the Western Conference, the MLS Cup champion Seattle Sounders check in at number two. And, you know, it's uh, most years the, the Seattle team would absolutely be number one, uh, especially with some of the additions that they made this offseason. But uh, we have a pretty clear cut number one heading into the season. But this Seattle team, I tell you what, they if you're looking at at ranking the teams in, in the entire league, 
uh, I have them as the number two team overall heading into the season. And the reason is that they have obviously the 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 makeup of a championship team. They bring back most of their key pieces from the the title winning Sounders team, but then they also made some pretty big additions in the offseason in midfielder Jao Paulo and the center back from Colombia, Yemar Gomez Andrade, who helps fill a huge void there. Uh, Roman Torres has moved on. They needed to upgrade there. Uh, they said goodbye to Kim Kihi, and you know they never had really replaced Chad Marshall. Javier Arriaga has been a been a great pickup for them at center back, but they they needed another another top another quality center back and. All signs point to Gomez Andrade really being that defender that they were hoping to to, to solidify their defense. And when you look at their lineup now, uh, from top to bottom, front to back, I mean, there's not a, it's it's hard to point to any weaknesses. And if anything, you could argue that that, that they're a deeper team now than they were when they won the, the they won MLS Cup. And and obviously they they did say goodbye to some of their pieces. Uh, Victor Rodriguez, obviously the MLS Cup MVP. Um, Brad Smith has moved on, and and there's a big loss there. But they still, I think. They have so much quality uh, up in their attack when you talk about Raul Ruiz Diaz and Nicolas Lodero. Um, and now the arrival of, of Jao Paulo in the midfield will allow Christian Roldan to get pushed out onto the wing in the wing role. You have, obviously, Jordan Morris, who's, who, who just was uh, on such a tear in the second half of the 2019 season. You like to think that he's going to carry that momentum over into 2020. Uh, he his game just reached another level uh, last year, and and for club and country, and uh, he was a huge part of of Seattle's run to the title. So the question is, what what's their weak? What's their weakness? What's why won't they win? the title in 2020? And it's a good question. I mean, they have everything to win another title. They absolutely do. Um, we are going to wonder how their defense comes together uh, when you talk about obviously losing Brad Smith and now you integrate uh, you, uh, Gomez Andrade, uh, the new center back. Now, if he steps in there and he is an elite defender, if he's as good as, as we keep hearing that he can be, uh, just get, giving you that athletic force in the middle. Now, Chad Marshall was so dominant for so many years uh, that he just made things easier for everyone in the back line, and they haven't really had that since since his since he kind of faded out of the picture. So can Andrade be that center back for them? Ariaga has obviously been been a good addition for them, but if Gomez Andrade is an elite center back, if he can be an elite center back, then Seattle's right there. They're right there with LAFC. They're right there with the um, with Atlanta United. Um, but that that's kind of the the jury is still out in my mind. In, uh, as far as their defense goes and how their defense comes together. And if Brian Schmetzer can get that defense organized and, and playing at an elite level, they're going to be right there in the supporter Shield conversation and, of course, in the playoffs. Because once you get to the playoffs, uh, Nicolas Lodero and Ra- Raul Ruiz Diaz, will t- they're killers. They're killers in the playoff. They, they, they're, they're cold-blooded and they'll beat you nine times out of ten. So as long as you have those guys in your attack and you're in the playoffs, you're going to have a chance. But the defense, that's kind of – I'd say the defense is what keeps me from putting them at the very top. But they're right there. They're absolutely in the conversation. So uh, I think it's going to be a, a, a fun team to watch. I think it's going to be another good year in Seattle. Uh, and if anyone's going to – keep LAFC from lifting that MLS Cup again, it's going to be Seattle. And in at number one in our Western Conference rankings is LAFC, 
the Supporters Shield winners and the top team in MLS last year during the regular season. Uh, it was definitely a, a surprise that they weren't able to add the MLS Cup title, but credit to the Sounders who have shown once once and again, uh, time and time again, that they, when the playoffs come around, they get it done. Uh, and LAFC learned a lesson, clearly, uh, in falling, and now they have regrouped, they've reloaded, and you have to think that they're with, with the pieces that they've added, uh, they could actually be even better in 2020. I know that's scary to think about, and it's kind of crazy to think about, but I think they could actually be better. And as much as the trade of Walker Zimmerman was a surprise uh, and and definitely turned some heads, no question about it, I I can definitely see the method to the madness, especially if they're projecting Tristan Blackman to move into a center back role. And, you know, I think he has the qualities to be a very good center back. but as of right now, it remains to be seen what LAFC is going to do next. They have the resources now to go and get another defender, whether it's a center back, whether it's a right back. Uh, they recently traded up to, to, to the number one spot in the MLS allocation order, so they can use that to potentially add a defender. Uh, and right now, they if let's say they don't add anybody, uh, this transfer window and you project them to move Tristan Blackman to center back and potentially move Latif Blessing to right back. And that there was a lot of talk about that in the pre in the preseason about those potential moves. And it might seem a little crazy uh, to move Blessing out of the midfield, considering how he really looked like such a force and really became such a force in the midfield, just a real dynamo in the middle, just covering so much ground as a two-way player. He just is his his just infectious energy and his ability to contribute defensively, but also jump into the attack and give you that another option coming out of the midfield uh as if carlos vela and diego rossi and 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 all the other attacking pieces weren't enough you also had latif blessing um but i can understand why you might see latif blessing as a potential option at right back because um if you think about that position as a potential right back slash midfield hybrid type situation i mean blessing has already shown he's he's capable of adjusting to new positions because look he wasn't he wasn't really a box-to-box midfielder when he got to LAFC when he was at Kansas City he was known more as a pure winger so he's adaptable he's a smart and tough soccer player with with just bags of skill Uh, so you can really put him anywhere and Bob Bradley being the coach that he is I could totally see him uh, believing that he can turn Blessing into an an elite right back and if that is in fact what they're planning to do then you can kind of understand it especially considering the uh, the number of midfield options that you have now if he chooses to keep Blessing in the midfield uh, then it comes down to do you want to go can you find yourselves an elite right back and then move Blackman to center back or can you find yourself a center back and keep Black Minute right back, and and I know some people said, well, why did you trade Black? Why did you trade uh, Walker Zimmerman in the first place? If you're just going to go get another center back, obviously, um, you know, if you can go get a, a center back who will cost you less than you were able to get for Zimmerman, then that trade off could eventually help you boost the roster in other ways. Um, me personally, I think the trade off from Zimmerman to Blackman is that Blackman has the ability to be a better passer out of the back and. With the type of uh, of aggressive attacking soccer that that LAFC wants to play, uh, having another center back who can pass well out of the back is huge for them. So if Blackman can transition into a full time center back role, I mean he could be he could really develop into a a, a real elite type central defender. Um, again, it remains to be seen. We don't know what LAFC is going to do uh, with that allocation spot or with the resources that they still have. But even without any more additions. With what they've already done this offseason, 
adding to what was already a strong squad, I mean, I got to say, I think they're going to break their own record for points in the season because when you look at, at what they were able to do, not only keeping their top star players, they were able to keep Carlos Vela. They kept Diego Rossi. Uh, Brian Rodriguez is back for another season. I think Brian Rodriguez is a guy who, uh, while he didn't really tear it up like people would have hoped in his first season, I think he's a perfect example of a player with now a preseason under his belt is going to tear it up in his second season in MLS. Um, the fact that they were able to keep all those pieces and then add a Bradley Wright Phillips, I mean, and a Francisco Janela uh, and a Diego Palacios at left back. I mean, these moves are just unbelievable when you think about it. The team they already had was already a record-setting team, but then they had absolutely impressive pieces. I mean, for me, Palacios was one of the best, was one of the better performers at the Under-20 World Cup uh, for Ecuador, the, the the exciting attacking left back. And he's come right in there and he's looking like he's commanding that position. Uh, Janela has some real quality and could develop into a regular in-central midfield, which again, would allow you to move Blessing uh, potentially to right back. So I love what LAFC is doing um, just in terms of the depth, the quality. I mean, to go get a player like Bradley Wright Phillips, and I know some people think he's done they think with the injuries that maybe he that's it he's passed it but you know what Bradley Ray Phillips doesn't have to carry the load he carried the Red Bulls attack for multiple years he doesn't have to carry the attack in LEFC he gets to be a role player he gets to uh enjoy the pressure that players like Vela and Rossi uh will take on and 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 imagine that now imagine you have to deal with an attack that has that has Rossi Vela Brian Rodriguez Mark Anthony K delivering dropping the dimes and then you have Bradley Ray Phillips who can do damage still once he's healthy um and he's not even your lead striker Adama Diomande we're not going to forget about Dio when he's healthy he is still probably your lead striker so uh, I mean it's just impressive what they've been able to do building this roster uh is something else and for that reason I think that's why I mean that's why I have them number one that's why they are my pick to win it all I think they're going to win the Sports Shield I think they're going to win MLS Cup obviously with the knockout round format and it always comes down to one game so you always wonder, you know, even though they 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 more than more than likely can have home field advantage, doesn't mean they're going to win in the playoffs against a tough team like Seattle. But I just think they're so good, and 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 they still have more more to work with. They still can add another piece or two. So, uh, just bravo to John Thorrington and Bob Bradley and what they've been able to do with their their roster management and their salary cap management uh, to put the team together that 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 they've put together and to have the depth that they have. Uh, it's something to behold. And when you watch them in Champions League, um, yes, their first leg against Club Leon was was shaky. Second leg, much much better showing their quality in only their second match competitive match of the year uh you see the quality could they make a deep run in the champions league now that they've gotten past leon uh absolutely lafc obviously when when you get into your deep champions league run it can affect how you how your how your early mls season goes but lafc absolutely could go all the way in the champions league now that they've cleared that first difficult hurdle that quality is why I really see them winning everything there is to win this year. Now, we know how hard that can be. We know how hard it is to compete on multiple fronts, uh, but they have the depth, they have the quality, and they still have the resources to add another defender and really, really make this a year where they do everything that they, they dreamed of doing and they finish the business that they weren't able to finish in 2019. That's right, folks. I think LAFC can win a treble. They can win MLS Cup, 
Supporters Shield, and they can win the CONCACAF Champions League. If they can handle the uh, competition on three fronts, they have the depth to pull it off. They have the quality to pull it off. Of course, there are teams that can stand in the way. There are teams that are good enough. Um, you have, for, in, for my money, you have four or five teams that are in that elite class that on, a, on any given day can beat you. Atlanta United, uh, the LA Galaxy, Seattle Sounders, NYCFC, all those teams can can knock you off. But you know what? If you have, you're asking me who I'm putting my money on to win MLS Cup in November, it's going to be LAFC. And that's your Western Conference preview. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a really uh, good battle for that title. LAFC is clearly the front runner, even more so after their impressive showing to, to eliminate Club Leon in the CONCACAF Champions League. But Seattle and the LA Galaxy, I think, are going to be right there pushing LAFC all the way all season. And then when the playoffs come, we're going to see some real fireworks. And it's going to be fun to watch. So uh, that's all for now. I definitely appreciate you listening. Make sure you listen to the Eastern Conference preview if you haven't yet already and uh, hopefully we will get the one more episode of the SBI show out to preview week one and also to give you the predictions uh, the award predictions the 2020 season predictions uh, and also to talk some U.S. men's national team and catch up on some of the other stuff that that I wasn't able to get to in these conference previews but uh, that's all for now for this episode and definitely let me know what you think uh, about the predictions feel free to rip them or feel free to agree or disagree let me know in the comment section and make sure you uh, follow along and and keep on listening and let me know what you think of the show and uh, what you'd like to see what you'd like to see improved and and what you uh what you like what you dislike let me know because i definitely appreciate the feedback uh, that's all for now though i'm ivis kolarset this is the sbi show